Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. We've talked about love last week. We talked about joy and peace. And then this week, I would start by looking there at maybe the handout you have. The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And remember, we're talking about attributes of the Holy Spirit, qualities or characteristics. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want them all. One spirit, many attributes. Right? I want them all. You need to treat it like a kid at Christmas. There's a bunch of gifts. Yeah? Not one kid says, I just want one this year. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time together in your house. Help me to teach with wisdom and effectiveness. I pray that you would bless this body, that it might be edified and strengthened from our time in your word. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We're going to launch into this topic this evening, talking about this long-suffering attribute. Most of us would agree we're here because somebody was long-suffering with us. (laughs) And not just the Lord. Well... Praise God. Not just the Lord, although he was. He has been. Everybody in this place is not the result of a second chance. A lot of us are the result of a second hundred chance. Right? How many are very thankful for that whole 70 times 70? (laughs) Praise God. Many interchange long-suffering and patience, and we'll, we'll kind of work back and forth between those words in this first attribute. Gordon Fee writes in his book, God's Empowering Presence, that makruthmia is always used in contexts involving one's forbearance toward others. Thus, long-suffering has to do with one's long forbearance toward those who oppose or distress one in some way. Let me put this, take this out of the, out of the uh, Greek here, and let me, let me put this even not in KJV. Let me put it in JBC for you, okay? It's not long-suffering if they're easy to get along with. There's a reason it's long-suffering. <laughs> Okay, no one wakes up thinking, I would like to suffer long. We're more into short suffering or no suffering. But long suffering is something we have to endure. And I'm telling you, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is. It's one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. 
To be long-suffering is an attribute of godliness. Consider these words with me. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 2 and 9. That's why a big part of what will take place here and is happening on a regular basis, but will take place during Easter, is that a lot of people will use Easter as their excuse to slip back in because they've been too nervous to return during a regular weekend. And our job as a church is not to judge them for where they've been, but to be long-suffering. Right? Amen. Patience is self-restraint in the face of provocation. What happens if someone returns here on a Sunday that offended you? (laughs) What if they've been gone so it hasn't caused conflict? Well, if we treat it by the world standards, then what we do is we, we, we set up a meeting and we say either they go or I go. I'll just keep reading. Uh, but, but, but that's not how it's supposed to go. Patience is self-restraint in the face of provocation. It doesn't quickly punish, but thinks before it responds. And if it responds, it responds appropriately appropriately how many know there's an appropriate response well I responded well did you respond appropriately (laughs) I grunted they knew what I meant you know one of the most dangerous things in communication is assumption One dangerous thing is to assume you know what's right. It's dangerous to assume that you're correct about your philosophy or your theology. It's dangerous to assume that you know what they were thinking when they text that. You ever have it? This is just a, here we go, preacher pause, just a little teaching moment. If you're ever confused by the text, then call them so you can really be assured how they meant it. So many, so many frustrations would never happen if you would just pick up the phone. Make sure before you get mad. Okay? That's just a little... It'll help you to suffer longer. Growing in patience is an intentional process also. We Americans are often guilty of what psychologists call this polyphastic activity or doing multiple things at the same time. In Trask's book on the fruit of the Spirit, he begins to write through what this means. It means jumping in the car, um, turning on the radio while you're texting someone, eating a donut, having a cup of coffee that you're slurping in between. For some of you, you sound like, oh, there's no way. For others, you're like, well, yeah. That's normal. That's only normal to us. That's not normal in a in a regular world, but we're, we're used to doing all these things. And I'm going to tell you what it really is the result of. It is the identifier, not that we're productive. It's the identifier that we're impatient. Okay? Let me teach this for a second, okay? It is not proving that you're a multitasker. It's proving that you are an impatient person. 
It is. Can I tell you something else? It's not a biblical characteristic. It's an American characteristic, but it's not a biblical one. Biblical characteristic means that we slow down and know how to be in just the presence of God. Now listen, this is, this is a pot calling the kettle situation here, okay? I know some of y'all are looking at me like, I know how busy you are. Yes, yes, yes. But you know what I also have to do? Scheduled. Sister Brown can come to my aid here. I'll put her on the spot. But she knows that on my calendar is scheduled time that nothing else can be. Because if I can't do that, I can't win as a dad. And if I don't do that, I can't win in intimate time with God. And I'm going to tell you, oh, I spotted you now. Is it accurate? Am I telling the truth? And here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have intimate time with just you and God, you can't win at anything. It's the truth. You've got to have scheduled time. And it's a part of patience. It's a part, I'm telling you, building that devotion alone between you and God, it will play out in the way that your relationships happen with other people. It's where you, it's where you feast on His Spirit. And I will tell you, you cannot have the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, if you don't have any, even any long-seasoning with Him. Here's a question outside of an altar call here at the church. Can you remember the last time you tarried in God at home? I want you to think about that. I feel the weight of what I'm saying right now. And I also see a lot of people spinning like I would like him to move on. <laughs> Which is why I'm staying here. <laughs> so that you can be long-suffering. <laughs> But think of that. I want you to be at least mentally challenged before I move. When's the last time that your morning devotion was ending and God was able to say, not yet? I feel a little, feel a little moment there. I want, us to be, I want us to be mindful of that. Impatience tends to produce things like anxiety, anger, even depression. In Numbers 20, watch this. When, when the people were not long-suffering with Moses... Who remembers what he did? He was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. I think he hit the rock to keep from hitting them. <laughs> I read that in between the lines. Brother Turner, he, he hits the rock. They would not be long-suffering, and it shaped out in him. Most people, most people do not activate long-suffering in their own temperament. Because the relationships in their life do not give liberty to long-suffering. Who you're close to matters. And it shapes it. So his own relationship with God takes a hit because he allows the influence of people close to him. The people who were relying on him. Listen, here's what he got out of order. Let me, let me show you this from Numbers 20. He got out of order. He was leading. Remember, this is the burning bush guy. Old Stutter and Mo. You remember this guy. He is leading the people, but somewhere in the mix of this, he got out of alignment that he was first led by God. He allowed their impatience to dictate his action. And when people in your life cause you to be a lesser version of you, it's you that pays the price.
because the people still stood, they stood there and they lapped up the water from that rock and their lives seemed to be no different. But Moses is going to stop short of the promised land because of his action. And the people in your life will not pay the price. God will still honor and bless people, but when he's put you in a role, he expects you to fulfill, to fulfill the, the, the role, the mission that's placed on you. So we've got to be long-suffering. Let's look at some, some scriptural evidences here. Spouses are to be long-suffering together. Colossians 3.19, 1 Peter 3.7. We're looking at wives and husbands here. Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18. It's not an either-or. We're long-suffering one with another. Wives, it's not all on him. And husbands, it's not all on her. It's a joint. It's a joint situation. Same way it is with the church. Okay? How about parents to be long-suffering or patient with kids? <sighs> Come on, they're downstairs. Just let a sigh out. Just feel, even Jesus sighed. Okay? How many of you had one of those parents that they would just sigh? Just, you're talking, talking out of nowhere. And you knew what it meant. It's like that little pressure on the T deal. It's like that, you're glad, that, trust me, you hated the sound of that sigh, but you're glad they sighed. Because if they didn't sigh, if they don't sigh, you cry. That's kind of how it works out. Okay? A lot of times that sigh saved you from a beating. Saved you from a good old-fashioned whipping. But we're meant to be long-suffering. What's the scripture say? We're not meant to provoke our children. We're not meant to provoke our children to anger. We're not. These are great scriptures for you to highlight. Believers, we've got to be long-suffering with new believers. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones? We often tie this just to children. People read across this like this belongs in the children's ministries. But this is not only in reference to children, but tied into the text here. We understand, he said, it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he would drown in the depth of the sea. He wasn't only speaking to children, he was speaking to innocence of approaching him. People that show up here that do not have it all together. They have to have our long-suffering. Amen? Right? Because we're all the result of that. Some of you have been in church for 20 years. Some of you have been in church for 10 years. Some of you have been in church for one year. We're all across the map in here of all different places. And every person that walked in here, you brought your own context with you. Some of you think we need to sing this kind of song. Some of you think we need to sing these kind of songs. Some of you think that we need to, we need to do church this much. Some of you think that we need to sit down after one song and worship. Some of you think we need to sit down after three songs. Some of you think we need to come in and dance in every service. Some of you think that... Guess what? You're all right. You're all right. What you're challenged to do is to give God 100% of how he has framed you to be. If, you, if you're an aisle runner, then run the aisles. 
You just don't get to cast judgment on someone who's not. That's true. Part of your being long-suffering. How about this? You've been in church for a long time. Maybe you were even raised in the church. Someone newer that's coming into the church, maybe they're still involved in drinking, smoking. Maybe they got things in their life that aren't, they're not lining up to a full-grown mature. Now, for us to get aggravated for them, if I would paint you the the, the, the picture that everyone would see here, it would be like a new mother pushing their infant in here and you being offended that they had a bottle. Why, why, in the, why do they have a bib on in the church? Why do they have a bottle? You give that baby a steak. I'm obviously being a little bit humorous here, but we all grow at our own pace. Some of your kids started walking when they were one year. You always have those parents that tell you, you know, seven months. They were just seven months. They were, they were doing gymnastics. I know it's hard to believe, but they have always been special. They have always been. <laughs> if you have four kids, like we do, every one of them started crawling at a different time. Every one of them pulled up at a different time. Every one of them started walking at a different time. Because they were each different. Do you know that God specifically designed every person different? Some people are going to come in. Come on, we have all seen people that come into the church and they're born into the body and they repent. They have genuine repentance. They're baptized in Jesus' name. They're full of the Holy Ghost. And the turnaround in their life is so quick. Brother, it's the assimilation process. It happens so drastically and so dramatically. And we, it's, it's like, how did that happen? It's so shocking fast. But what about the person who shows up who was abused the entire... You don't, we don't know that. We don't know that they were abused. And they've, they've never been able to even have a male figure speak to them that had any level of authority. And so here they've come to this church and this guy gets up and talks and on Sunday he even raises his voice and, and they're shouting and what's he sweating about and all. And it takes them months and months, but they keep coming. For some people, the assimilation process is so quickly, and for others, it takes a much longer time. What's the job of the church? To be long-suffering. That the fruit of the Spirit is on display. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. I think it is strategically placed here by Paul. And I would tell you Philippians. Let's look at that Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, that believers are to be long-suffering with ourselves. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Paul, for being honest enough to tell us that even with everything you've accomplished, you don't feel like you've made it. Thank you, Paul, for telling us that sometimes I, I do what I don't want to do and I, and I don't do what I want to do and, and I've got this problem where the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But here's what I want to tell you. I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing. I'm not giving up on me. Can I tell you right now, 
This place is not absolutely jam-packed full because the church gave up on people. This place would be absolutely full. We would have chairs set out. We'd be way past our 75% if people hadn't given up on themselves. The church is not always to be blamed. I hear a lot of people take blame or take shots at the church as a whole. And I'm not speaking just to Calvary. I'm speaking in my travel in all my years. People take shots at the church. Well, if there would have been more love. Well, if there would have been more peace. Well, if there would have been more long-suffering. That's true. But I'm going to tell you, typically the first person to give up on them was them. Because if you really honor who God has called you to be, then offense will not drive you from living for God. Transition and transfers and things like that, that will occur. People will move. Issues will happen. That will happen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whether or not they continue to live for God. Whether or not I'm going to live for God, you don't have the power to dictate that. If I really love God, you don't have the power to pull me away from living for God. I've got to make that choice. Praise God. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Praise God. Why don't you find a couple people around you and tell them, don't let me give up on me. Come on, tell them, don't let me give up on me. Let's consider the Gentleness attribute. Second one here tonight. Gentleness. The Greek Christos is often interpreted as kindness. You'll often hear this and in other translations read it instead of gentleness as kindness as the attribute of the fruit of the Spirit here. I'm the Lord who exercises kindness and aren't we thankful for it? Jeremiah 9.24 You're forgiving you're good, O oh Lord, Psalm 86 and 5. God's kindness to sinners is designed to lead them to repentance, Romans 2 and 4. His kindness to believers should encourage us to continue in His kindness, Romans 11, by treating others as He has treated us, Ephesians 4. And that's the real kicker, ladies and gentlemen. For love is not only patient, but it is kind. I do love you. Okay. <laughs> Just trust me. Okay. He's a mean one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some people are just gruff. They're just rough. They're exterior. We all know people like that. Some of you, you know, you want to be nice, you want to be gentle. He's not. So here's my statement. Be as gentle as you can be with the help of the Holy Ghost. Okay? I'm not asking you to be somebody else. Some of you guys, I don't want you to have soft hands. Okay? I'm not asking you to. I want men to be men, ladies to be ladies. But you being gentle, men doesn't make you less of a man. You don't have to be rough about everything. Right? We don't have to be rough about everything, Brother Matthews. We, we, we can be gentle in the way we treat our children. We can be gentle in the way that we treat our spouse. You can be gentle in the way you treat your brother in the Lord. 
You know, every now and then we gently withstand one another to the face. Do you know that you can have conflict and it not be wrong? Usually conflict is only wrong if you don't address it. Well, but it's how we address it. It's how we handle things. Let's consider gentleness here through the story of the Good Samaritan. I love the way I found this statement here. The difference between the two religious leaders and the Samaritan was that when the priest and the Levite saw the man, they wondered, what will happen to us if we help him? While the Samaritan thought, what will happen to the man if I don't? Think about those two viewpoints. First two viewpoints that it seems like Christ is addressing here is, what will happen to me if I actually do? And the Samaritan who was viewed really ugly through this Jewish lens, was what will happen to him if I do not help. We understand it's a, it's a story being played out by Christ here. But I will tell you that it is critical that we take ourselves out of the equation. I used to love Brother Mooney, a statement that, that Pastor Mooney would make over the years and, and shared and, and tremendously helped me uh, during the first North American Youth Congress that I was planning. And that statement was, people are not against you. They are for themselves. That was worth $1,000 to me. He said, he said that was from a conference that he went to. He said it's the only thing good he got out of the whole conference. I was very glad he went to the conference for that line. Uh, I had a... I'm just going to tell you the story. I... We were planning North American Youth Congress. We had grown exponentially. Some of you remember when Youth Congress grew very fast. I, I remember I was in Tennessee, um, and it sold out. I mean, like that. It sold out just like that. And everybody at Youth Congress wanted a hotel room across the street. Some of you remember this culture, right? Everyone's on to... Some of you are thinking, yeah, tell this story because we were frustrated by this. Um, there's not that many hotels. They'd have to build hotels for there to be enough. And one of what I would call a, uh, a well-to-do pastor, and, and he meant well. He was a good pastor. I would call him even a revivalist pastor. But he called me here. I was a little bit newer to youth ministries and always tried to be very kind and conscientious. But he, he got on the phone with me. He said, he said now, Brother Carson, he said, we're, we're not going to do it. He said, we'll, we'll take our kids to Disney World or something. <laughs> now... <laughs> he said that to one of my pastor friends that was his age who said, well, I hope they get a good call at Disney World. Anyway, he said, he said we're not going to do it. We can't get a close enough hotel room. I'm not sure what came over me. I tried to do it gently. But I said, I said, if I could try to paint an analogy at home for you, it would be like you praying for revival to break out at your church and you being mad that you didn't have a parking spot in your own parking lot because there were so many visitors there. That you would cancel church or better yet, not even show up. We've... Ladies and gentlemen, we got to always keep at the heart, what's our mission? 
What's our goal? Before you're ready not to be gentle, before you're ready and you, you want to you wanna speak venom or you want to get aggravated, make sure that you're not running it through the I'm for myself. And remind, always try to, to, to do a little introspection and make sure, wait a minute, is what I'm dealing with, is it kingdom driven? Hope that makes sense. Is it, is it kingdom driven? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously dangerous. I didn't have time uh, and didn't have the room to put it in here, but I did some studying on this road and really looking. There, there is something like a, 2,000-foot elevation drop in this 20 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. As a result, um, there, there just are numerous bends and turns as it's weaving through. As a result of that, it, it, it has set up perfectly for bandits. It's always had been that way. And in the, in the context of when Jesus is telling the story, that was the custom. In fact, that was, uh, that was normative until around 1930, 1940. I mean, it was just almost untraveled except for during the day and, and with, a, with a guard. It was, it was mentioned here. You'll see it, you'll see it there in, in light gray in the 5th century. Jerome tells that it was still called the red or the bloody way. And it hit me when I, when I thought about that. Man, how many places in Indy would we avoid Can I tell you, there are places in the city that I would tell the evangelism team on Saturday. Now, time out. <laughs> Where are you going? When are you going? How are you going? Ryan's laughing. <laughs> obviously. And I've been in some rough spots. But you don't go unless you know where you're going and what you're doing. Got to understand, I mean, I spent a long time in Akron. Hearing gunshots for me was a regular daily thing. I'm not uncomfortable with that. But I also know there are certain neighborhoods that you walk into, you need to be armed with where you're going. Understand the mental not. You need to have reasonable understanding about what you're doing. And Jesus is kind of talking to them about when he's telling this story about the Good Samaritan you have to think of it through the lens of it wasn't just the people, it was the place. Consider the place where the work is being done. It's a place where people were walk, people were living. Here's what I'm trying to drill down to. People were skeptical. And ladies and gentlemen, when we as believers live skeptical, it's a dangerous way to actually get things done for God. Does that make sense? If our first, some of us have been hurt so bad, we cannot hardly help, but our go-to response is skepticism. Some of you are analytical by nature. You did the color testing, you're green, you analyze things. While anyone that's talking, anyone that shows up, anyone that walks in, some of the people in here, you're ex-military, you are prone, you are watching. If someone walks in, you look for the slightest little Bump. Yep. 
Some of y'all carriers, you know what I'm talking about. Some people in this room, I see some little smirks like, I had so many people come to me, they're like, I got you, Pastor. <laughs> and you know what I say? I'm glad. I count on it. I'm glad you do. But can I tell you that when it comes to spiritual thinking, we've got to learn how to try to drop the skepticism and we've got to try to be gentle with one another. Let's read here. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, according to the wise man, Proverbs 15, 4. Consider what Barnabas did for the ministry of Paul by his gentleness, his kindness, when others were suspicious of him. Acts 9, can I tell you that Saul, still Saul at this point, Brother Healy, he is not going to be the guy you're recruiting into Sunday school. Children's ministries, this isn't, how's that look on a minute, on the resume, right? Imagine this. Imagine that in his earliest of preaching scenarios would be the widows. Imagine, imagine how treacherous it must have been for an early converted Saul to walk in and see the bloodshot eyes of a little boy who's I know there's a hint of supposition there, but had it not been for Barnabas, had it not been for Barnabas who was willing to say, in spite of his infractions, in spite of who he was, I've, I've heard from God that he's not who he was. He has kingdom value. Those are two words I want everybody in this place to latch on to right now. Kingdom value. Not Calvary value. And not you value. Kingdom value. We cannot treat our relationships as important only if we get something out of it. Can I tell you that I will be doing a horrible job as pastor if the only reason I would honor someone is because of what I thought they might bring to Calvary? What if God gives us some people that our only job is to train them for a few years and then send them to plant a church? Because I'm going to tell you, He's already doing that. He's giving us some people where being here, all it will be is a safe place for us to put time, energy, effort, and resources to allow people to grow be nurtured and develop. And then what we're going to do is we're not going to release them, but we're going to send them into the field. You know what that is? Kingdom value. I know I'm talking real calm, but I'm sure yelling inside. <laughs> Kingdom value. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Whew. Jesus' name. Third attribute here, the goodness attribute. The Greek here, agathosun, is translated goodness. It's a rare word that combines, watch this, being good and doing good. <laughs> you can't just be good. 
Oh, well, they're a good guy. Then why do they act so terrible? Sister Goddard, they're a good kid. They're a good kid. Then why do they act so terrible? <laughs> then why? Oh, they're so sweet. Them? Yeah, they're a delightful child. You talk, him? You know, as teachers, we felt that way. And as parents, it doesn't matter if, you, if it doesn't matter if you've yelled at them all week long if the teacher has to get on to them. Oh, there's no way they did that. You're wrong. There's a good chance they did. But we got to guard it both ways. But there's a difference between just being good and doing good. Goodness is a word used 20 times in the Bible describing moral or ethical character. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Can I tell you something? You cannot admonish what you cannot model. Your ability to admonish has to be reflected by your ability to model. I cannot admonish you to pray if I won't. Amen? Ephesians 4, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't just, don't just be in the light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Part of this goodness connection here is generosity. Okay? Part of the goodness connection is generosity. It's how you treat. It's how you treat others. It's the goodness of your heart. Well, I did it out of the goodness of my heart. Well, if it's the fruit of the Spirit on display, you do it from a goodness that comes... Your, your sinful heart doesn't have the ability to produce goodness from God. But if you're full of the Spirit and you can produce goodness or you can relay goodness, then it has the, it has the effect, I believe, to help you model godliness. Goodness is possible because why? 2 Corinthians 5.17 We're new creations. And thank God for it. Thank God for it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Let's talk about this process of sanctification. It's a lifelong process. Some people believe it's done instantaneously. I don't believe once saved, always saved. I don't. I don't believe you can just walk to the front and pray a sinner's prayer and everything's done. But can I tell you something else? 
I don't think we should be taking shots at people that do. I think we should be thankful for every step being taken as long as it's not being promoted that that's it. It's a, it's a process that is in continuation. We're moving forward, putting to death sinful activities, feelings, and thinking. We're progressively transformed into the image of Christ. Trying to be like Him. We grow in God's grace. 2 Peter 3.18 We demonstrate greater love and other fruit of the Spirit toward people. Goodness is a gift of God. Goodness is a gift of God. What does it mean for me to have the attribute of goodness? The way I treat people will tell on me. I said this a week or two ago, but I, I, I want to I reemphasize it because goodness and generosity are very much coupled together. The way you tip will tell on you. I know this is real practical, but the way you tip, okay? Some of you, every store you go into, you're trying to get a deal. Oh, I'm on some toes right there. I just got on. Some of y'all were like, oh, I ain't going to clap for that. I ain't going to smile for that. I'm a, I'm a wheeler and dealer. Get your deal, but don't be a cheapskate. Oh, I'm staying for a second. I'm staying. Your uncomfortableness, it just makes me happy. I'm just going to stay for a second. Get your deal. Do your best. But as a Christian, as a Christian, you know what? Every time I pray in a, in a, in a restaurant, people that go out with me, most times I pray. It's become a part of my custom. When I pray for the meal, I try to pray over the restaurant. If I go to a restaurant frequently, I'm trying to get on a first-name basis with those people. Why? I, I don't want to... I don't want to have to think that anyone I go with would be embarrassed by the way they feel about me showing up. For many people that you, I know you think it's just another restaurant or you think it's just another pawn shop or you think it's just another store or you think, for many people on a daily basis, you are the closest reflection of the goodness of God they will see all day long. And if you're grumpy, okay, if you're down, everyone's entitled to a bad day, but everybody's not entitled to a bad month, okay? How, you can have a bad day, but, but try to keep your grumpiness private and your goodness public because you're meant to bear image of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Well, pastor said we can't be shopping for deals. Not at all. Be frugal. Save money. And then give the excess to the building program. Praise God. Hmm. Hmm. I felt a witness, but I think it was my own. Praise God. Psalm, tw Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Surely goodness 
and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. Goodness. I, want, I don't ever want to go anywhere without goodness. I always want goodness close to me. Can I tell you that often you decide what distance goodness follows you from? That's what's, that's what's left in the text for your interpretation. You get to choose whether or not goodness is a close companion. I want it to be a close companion. It affects the way I am, and it affects the way I treat others in the reflection of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Stand with me here tonight. Thank you for your, thank you for your time. Would you lift your hands right now and would you begin to pray with me as we conclude that, that the Holy, come on, that the Holy Ghost would really be able to grow and produce some things in our life. God, these are great people. These are great people. These are, these are your children. We are your body. We're your sheep. That's what we're called. So many different illustrations you've given us through Scripture. We're the sheep of your pasture. We're, we're meant to know your voice. You've called me, O oh God, as a watchman for this congregation. I pray that what I've taught here tonight would find lodging in our hearts, our minds. Let our vine, let it, let it be trimmed where necessary so that the fruit of the Spirit might not just grow, but that it might grow abundant. Oh God, let there be, let there be goodness. Let there be long-suffering. Let there be gentleness. Let there be love. Let there be joy. Let there be peace. In Jesus' name. And I, I leave you with this. I leave you with this thought here tonight because what I've been talking about is producing as the way that you feed others. But can I tell you that if the fruit of the Spirit is on display in your life, it will also affect the way you receive correction. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, that will affect the way that you receive if someone has to come to you and say, I was bothered when? Come on. How many know that every now and then the Lord has to correct us? A close friend has to talk to us. A spouse. But the fruit of the Spirit, it'll do that work in our life and help us. I love you so much. I can't, I can't say it in words. I love you. And I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.